Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and later on our podcast channel. It's time for our weekly Monday show with myself, Andrew Musgrove and Aaron Stuck. And I'm bringing you some good news. For the last few days, Aaron, we've had no drilling during the day, which means our podcast should go uninterrupted for the next hour. I think you might. Let's hope you haven't just jinxed that now, so fingers crossed. No, no, no. This has been a fantastic couple of days, starting with this brilliant news and then tomorrow a win for Newcastle in that first leg of the League Cup semi-final. What a start to the week. Yeah, I mean, we can only dream. Can't get much better than that. Well, it could have done, actually, let's be honest. We could be sitting here with Newcastle having all three points I haven't faced Crystal Palace down at Selhurst Park. And I've been thinking about how we address looking back on that game because, as usual, social media has been kind of a... A, uh, a divide on how people have taken that point. Some people have taken it as a good point, some not so much. And I've been going back and forth in my mind because Sellers Park is this destination where the assumption is it's a horrible place to go. You know, Sellers Park is a fortress, but when you look at their record, I think their last win was in October there. Yes, they drew against Manchester United, but, you know, they haven't had a great record of late. And I also think... Challenging for the top four. If this is if this is this time next season, it's an nil-nil draw. Crystal Palace with that sort of record, it's not such a good point. However, I can also see the argument. You go well. Let's remember where we were this time last year. They did just draw against Manchester United. Newcastle battered them. They just couldn't score. It's a difficult one. Where where did you where do you lie on that point? I think if you'd said to me on Friday afternoon that they're going to come away from Crystal Palace with a draw, I wouldn't have been too disappointed. But I think the overall feeling on Saturday night when you know the full-time whistle went was just that disappointment. And I think that's because the manner of the game and how it played out. I think Newcastle played well. They had you know significantly better chances. But I think it was one of those where they could have been there all night and I don't think they would have scored. And I think that's why it was so disappointing because did Leicester maybe paper over the cracks in a sense that they had nil-nil at Arsenal, nil-nil at Leeds and and there was questions starting to be raised about, you know, the attackers and being a bit toothless in front of goal. They went and, you know, beat Leicester pretty comfortably with two second-half goals and that was sort of forgotten about. But... I'm not sure what it is at the moment. This team just aren't clicking going forward and, and there's just something missing in the final third of the last couple of games. But is it a case that they're not clicking or is it a case that they're just not being clinical enough? Because 
yesterday, um, sorry, against um, Crystal Palace on Saturday, 16 shots. Yes, they only had one on target, but they were getting into areas where on another day you would expect forwards to score. In fact, you would expect the forwards to score. I know Isaac had that header, um, which was tamely put into the, to the arms of the keeper. There was a wonderful ball put across the, the middle of the box by Jacob Murphy, and Isaac just wasn't there. It fell to uh, St. Max when it was cleared for a corner. But in your castle side, in a bit better form, you would say that those chances end up in the back of the net. I guess the pessimist within would argue that this is now like the third, the fourth time that this has happened. How long can we go on saying, oh, the next game they will finish those chances? It's just an off day up front. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know, the phrase I used that it wasn't clicking in the final third, maybe wasn't right. I think they did play some good stuff in the final third, as you say, they did create plenty of chances. But it, it, as I said, it was just one of those nights where you just knew in, in your heart of hearts that they weren't going to score. So um, I think, you know, the fact that there is factors to consider and that is probably that Alexander Isaac is still getting up to speed after his injury. There's factors that Callum Wilson still, you know, doesn't look like he's shaken off whatever illness sort of kept him out over the festive period or he just he looks a yard off the pace all the time um, and then obviously we go back to the fact that they're, they're maybe lacking a little bit of quality off the bench as well to come on and make a difference I know that obviously Isaac and Maxi were both brought on to make a difference on Saturday night but for whatever reason it's not just working and I think this clinical and confident and composed Newcastle that we saw in the first half of the season where you know they were putting four past Villa and Brentford and Fulham you know that how needs to work out how to get that sort of confidence back in the attacking the attacking players. But what is the solution? Because again, you watched that game against Crystal Palace. They were on top, Newcastle. They, they dominated. They, they should have really gone back with all three points. They just couldn't take their chances. How if you already have what? What are you doing? I mean, are you doing what maybe like Ben suggests here? Do you mix it up a little bit? Do you start Max and Isaac and try different personnel? Do you push in the transfer market and try and go out and get someone who can really come in and, and, and throw kind of a grenade into the dressing room and say, right, I'm here and I'm in business? Or do you just back your players and go back to that point? Well, it's you know it's been a few dry games, but they will eventually put these uh, chances into the back of the net. I think Eddie Howe is probably leaning towards the third choice more than anything. I think he's as ever, you know, not belittling any players. He's not being negative about any players. He's, you know, has full confidence that they will find their shooting boots. I'm a tad surprised that he didn't mix the team up a little bit on Saturday, given how many games they've had, the fact that they've got Southampton tomorrow. I thought maybe Saturday was the game to try something different. I think Maxi coming back in, you know, yes, he hasn't maybe earned that recall, but the longer this barren spell goes on, you sort of can't ignore that he does you know, provide that little bit extra in front of goal. So, um, look, it remains to be seen what business they're doing the last week. We know that obviously they're now chasing an attacker given, you know, Wood's sort of untimely exit, which, you know, you hit the nail on the head, could, you know, spark a couple of these attacking players into life. But, I mean, you're looking at the likes of Callum Wilson, he should have had a rocket up there anyway because of Alexander Rizak coming back. So, Look, all clubs go through them, you know, these barren and, and dry runs. And I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about. But I just think, you know, coming away from Selfish Park on Saturday, the overriding feeling was, OK, this has happened three or four times in January now. And and if Newcastle really want to keep up with the pace of the runners and riders of the Premier League, 
they need to be beating teams like Palace and, and Leeds in, in this run-in. Do you think if Isaac was fully match fit, he would be in the starting 11 ahead of Callum Wilson, given the form Wilson's on? Uh, it's it's difficult because we know how has his favourites. He doesn't like changing the team. And, and he, I mean, you know, Maxi's case in point that you really struggle to get back in this team when you're not fit. So I think if Isaac does start hitting the goals in, you know, it it leaves Wilson a little bit vulnerable in the short. Um, but it, it's hard to see what he does. I think he probably goes unchanged tomorrow at Southampton. Maybe one or two tweaks at the very most. And as I said, I was a bit surprised he didn't make those changes Saturday and then play your, you, you know, your, your full-strength team on, on Tuesday. But the, there's probably going to be a few tired bodies there. And, and obviously, when it isn't clicking in a game like Saturday, you're then going to go away, travelling down the bottom of the country again against a tricky opponent in, in a huge game of, of massive importance and try and get it to click again. So, look, they, they could prove me all wrong by sticking three past Southampton tomorrow. But I just think that was the one worrying thing I, I saw on Saturday was just how just how toothless looked in, in up front. And they never gave up and they were trying and trying and just, it just didn't come for them. Um, you've mentioned there that you would go unchanged. John disagrees. He says, I think tomorrow I would be tempted to start Isaac. He doesn't think Callum Wilson looks fit. He wants to see Joe Linton in the midfield with Willock and Bruno and St. Maximo up top, which I assume he means kind of over on the left. And there's a few comments here on that that says they'd like to see Isaac and St. Maxman brought into the into the starting eleven for that game against Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean the, the calls for Maxi are growing for me. You know, I, as I've said on this podcast the last couple of weeks, I, I've been absolutely fine with Willock and Julian and occupying those sort of spaces down the left. I think Willock again had a very good game on Saturday night, and was I was really surprised to see he was the one that made way in the second half for Maxi, given how. Poor of a game Almiron had, I thought. Um, and, I, and I don't think Willock was too happy coming off, um, you know, because I think he probably knows that he had a better game than most on Saturday. Um, but Maxi is becoming harder to ignore. And I think the longer this run goes on of, of Newcastle failing to score in front of goal, you know, the louder those calls will be for him to return. And as I said, and, and I'll say, do you want to be tinkering with your team in a semi-final? Probably not. You know, is it a risk of some sort to bring Maxi back? And, and what I will say on Wilson and Isak is they're both, you know, not looking up the speed, but the only way you get them up the speed is playing them. So do you bring Isak in and then sacrifice Wilson's fitness even more? It's such a difficult decision. And, you know, I don't envy how having to make it. But for me, I just think he sticks with Wilson um, for the semi. That's just my hunch at the moment. Uh, Roger says Wilson break open then for Isaac. He's not too sure about Alan Maximum. Mark says Willick has been excellent for us. Wilson and Almiron had a bad game. Time to freshen it with Isaac and Maxi. And Wes says we tried to pass the ball into the net far too much recently. Same against Leeds, Bournemouth, and Fulham. Not enough crosses getting put in for me. It's an interesting point because I had a look at the stats uh, prior to coming on, on air here. And, there were quite a few crosses put into the box. Uh, Kieran Trippier top on the list with his his delivery. I think he had 10 accurate out of 16. But my question would be, how does that suit the likes of Wilson and Isaac, the way Newcastle play? Because you get the ball in the box. I don't necessarily think they're, they're always getting up and, and, and heading it is their main strength. For example, the two chances that did come against Palace, 
both headers and both wasted. Um, I'm not really sure they've got the striker who can take huge advantage of, of decent deliveries into the box. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because at the start of the season, they had quite a lot of success with set pieces. And as you say, Trippier, you know, just pummeling balls into the box. But the last couple of weeks, that seems to have dried up. I saw a lot of people on social media after Saturday calling for, you know, something new for these corner routines because they had so many corners at Selhurst Park and you've got such a big defence going up for them all and, and Newcastle just weren't making the most of it. As for, you know, putting crosses in the box, I think Newcastle, you know, look better going forward when they get into the byline and and not trying to, you know, float the crosses in. Murphy, as you say, had a fantastic chance um, on Saturday, a fantastic ball in the box. That wasn't capitalised on, so... Look, where, where was the striker for that? Where, where I'm, and, and it's, it's one point, and in, 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 it's pretty insignificant, I guess, but that's where your striker should be. It flashed mm-hmm. straight across, essentially, the penalty spot, didn't it? And Isaac I mean, wasn't there to be seen. Where is your number nine? Where mm-hmm. is your striker to put that at the back of the net? I think, I think you know, I don't think he looks off the pace, but I think he's just missing that extra yard. I think, you know... And Alexander Isak with five or six or seven games consistently, uh, consecutively under his belt, probably gets on the end of that or is in the position to um, to pounce on that. He's probably still learning how to work with this team. Yes, he's been at the club since August, but he's only actually played a handful of games. And I remember at St James's Park earlier the season when just taking a moment or two to watch him, he, he's trying to figure out how this team play. He's going to make a run and then seeing that, you know, the players maybe just aren't on the same wavelength of them. So these things will come over time. You know, it's important not to panic. You know, I still think four points from, um, you know, the last two games is good and, and, and there isn't anything to worry about. But it was just such a disappointment given that Palace really offered very, very little apart from obviously that one Mateta chance, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. And, and the back four looked really solid again. They're just... It's a shame that the last couple of games, you know, they've sort of been, you know, the only negatives are coming at the opposite end of the pitch. As Roger says, Isaac is still on three goals in five games. Eddie Howe held his press conference today, which is Monday morning, and he was asked about Alexander Isaac, and he said, and I quote, he hasn't had a lot of training time. We've had a lot of games, and between those, you can't train the players to the intensity you want. We've exposed him to the games, but at some stage he will need the training load to get to his very best levels. So, Eddie Howe is well aware that Isaac isn't up to speed. And I guess it's it's fortunate he's come back at such a significant time for Newcastle United, but also a little bit unfortunate that you're not going to have a fully match fit Isaac to use to your full advantage. Definitely, and, and I think Howe's spot on with what he, what he says you know, he probably has missed those really key training sessions, given that they've been playing, you know, twice a week, sometimes three three games in 10 days at times. it's It's been a really, really hectic schedule and it must be hard for how to try and get him up to speed when, you know, you're trying to start him in, again in cup games or bringing him on and, and trying to work him and Wilson in this team. I still don't know going forward and long term what on earth he does with the two of them because, Yes, Isaac can play in you know the ten or the out on the left or the right, but I think naturally he wants to be playing as a you know a central striker, and I just can't see how changing that four three three system that he uses. Um, but look, it'll come. It's still early days. Hopefully, Wilson can find this 
format he's been missing. I think this is his longest dry streak since he joined Newcastle in 2020, which obviously isn't good to see. But look, you know, all it takes is one game, hopefully tomorrow night, for just for, for them to get back on track. Um, because it, it's vital that they do it. And somebody, you know, Kieran here in the comment makes a point about relying on Miggy. It's it's a big, big period for Miggy coming up because um, he really set the league alight in the first half of the season. In the last couple of games, I feel like we're maybe starting to see the Miggy of old. I thought Saturday was a game where he just didn't have the same confidence or the same impact that we've been used to seeing him. So it falls on him as well, not just Isaac and Wilson. You know, Willick and Jolin and, and those also need to be chipping him with goals as well. Eddie Howe's reaction to the point at Sellers Park, I thought, was 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 refreshing. Not in terms of we haven't heard it before, because we know the standards that he sets. But just reading the quotes from him about the point, um, it 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 does. It's very uh, satisfying to know that the manager has such high standards. So, again, in his press conference, he was asked about going fifteen games unbeaten, and he said, and I quote. Really proud of the group for being as consistent as we have been. It takes one off day to end that. So to go 15 games is hugely satisfying. The disappointing thing is after Saturday, it didn't feel like that. It felt like a defeat. The expectations are so high internally and externally, and we're very motivated as a group. So we are disappointed with the result. We need to keep perspective at all times with how well the players are doing and make sure they don't feel any negativity going in to tomorrow quite a mixture of words there you know he's he's disappointed which is negative but he wants to protect the players from that negativity i mean that getting that balance is 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 quite difficult yeah and you know the overriding feeling on saturday night i certainly felt was one of disappointment yes you know they've just extended this amazing record you know how was the, the first english manager to do it in you know, this century, it should have been a really course, you know, a course of celebration. And it wasn't just because of, you know, the manner of the game and how it played out. Um, he's absolutely spot on what he says, you know, for this group who have gone um, 15 games and beaten in, in the toughest league in the world is a f- fantastic achievement. And, you know, the defence especially just have not switched off once in the last couple of games. I thought, you know, Nick Pope showing that, you know, he can go all game without having anything to do. And then, pulling a saver of that quality out the top draw. So, look, it, it's all rosy and positive at the, at the back. I don't have any, you know, um, qualms or negatives to say about the back four or the back five. But, you know, going forward, yes, it's fantastic remaining unbeaten, but Spurs and Liverpool and Brighton will eventually play a catch-up. And if Newcastle United aren't on the ball and firing in front of goal you know, it starts to become a bit of squeaky bum time in that race for the top four. Transfer market-wise, so we know Newcastle in the market for a midfielder and a forward. Is it a case, and this is kind of my view, is that they're creating the chances so the creativity isn't necessarily the problem. The problem comes with finishing the chances. So either you need a goal-scoring midfielder and you need a, you need a goal-scorer to come in and, and, you know, replace Callum Wilson, replace... Alexander Isaac, if you, Aaron, were given the choice of only signing one, you know, so goal scorer midfielder or goal scorer, that's it. Who? What would you be? What would you? What would you be picking? Oh, goal scorer midfielder, without question. I think. I know that you've been, you know, very keen for them to add another attacker. I'm sure those, you know, feelings have already grown since Woods' exit. But I think 
you know, take Miggy's goals out of it, take Wilson and Isaac's goals out of it. Bruno, Willick and Longstaff this season aren't chipping in with enough goals. And, you know, Joel and, and as well, you could argue there needs to be more goals from further back on the pitch. And for me, Wilson and Isaac will find their form again. We know that they're clinical when they're, you know, having good runs of form. What we need is, you know, the players behind them to start scoring again. So if Newcastle can go out and bring a goal scoring 10 or a goal scoring centre midfielder, I think that would be, you know, my preference at this stage in the window. Um, but we know they're working on, you know, a couple of deals to try and get a couple over the line in the last, the last couple of days of this window. Could Anthony Gordon be that man, do you think? Is he the man to score goals? Probably not, given his records. Um, I'd also be very, very, not concerned, but I would be a little bit apprehensive about him coming in at this stage of the window, given that he's bang out of favourite Everton, hasn't played for them since Boxing Day, didn't even make it off the bench on Saturday. I know that Lampard was very, very frosty in his reaction. When asked about him... um, he is one who I, I don't think he splits opinion on social media. I think the majority of that opinion on social media is that Newcastle fans don't want to sign him, um, maybe because of his temperament and his actions on the field. And for me, he's 21. There's undoubtedly a talented player in there, but I just is he the man to you know save Newcastle's goal drought? I don't think he is. It's interesting the opinion on social media because, like you say, I don't think it's split. I think it's very much one way. People do not like Anthony Gordon, but he's clearly a talented player. Newcastle have looked at him on more than one occasion and they seem to like what they see. And I also look at some of Newcastle Newcastle's players though, that they've currently got, the likes of Callum Wilson, the likes of Fabian Cher. If they were not on this Newcastle United side, I think people watching this, people listening to this would not like them one little bit because they like to wind up the opposition. They like to talk a little bit too much and get in the ear of the opposition. They like uh, to be physical and they like to niggle at the ankles and what have you. And when it's on your side, it's absolutely brilliant. You 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 love it. So I think, you know, if Anthony Gordon was the man to come into Newcastle and Eddie Howe was asked about the speculation today and he said no comment on any of the players, but if he was the man that, that came in, you know, any issues with his, with his uh, temperament on the pitch, I think, would... would quickly disappear and you know the fans would definitely be backing them. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It, it is, as you say, the type of player that you'd love to have in your team, especially as you know we keep calling it Newcastle's new game management. And I think Gordon would fit into that perfectly well given that you know he does like to buy a foul here and there. And look, people who as we say we've seen plenty on social media, people saying how much they don't want to sign Gordon. And there's a few people that you know make the very good point in the replies that Craig Bellamy probably wasn't very liked when he joined. The likes of David Batty probably weren't very liked when they joined. And, you know, they're going to become, you know, favourites among the fans. So I've got no problem with Gordon's temperament. That's why, that's not why I'm saying I don't think Newcastle should go out and sign him. I just don't think at this stage where they need to be a top four push, he's the man, talent or form-wise, that, you know, drags them to a top four this season. I mean, we've got... Plenty of people in the comments. And you guys watching live, I want you to answer this question that I'm going to ask Aaron, but you guys watching live, I want to see you get into the comments and answer it as well. So we have Les here saying, please note Anthony Gordon, surely we can do better. But Aaron, when you look at the context, the world knows Newcastle needs a midfield addition. They know they've got a little bit of money to spend. And you're joining transfer window. 
teams aren't really likely to let their stars go unless it's for quite a bit of cash. Realistically, who was out there? I mean, if it's not Anthony Gordon, who was out there? Um, it's, it's a it's a tricky question. Um, you know, it looks like Dan Juma is going to Everton, and that's a deal that I thought Newcastle would go for, given his um his history with how elsewhere. You may be looking at someone with a bit more experience from Chelsea, someone like Ziyech or maybe um, Conor Gallagher, who can you know play in a number of positions. You may be then looking at Leicester. If you want a goal-scoring midfielder, you need to look no further than Yuri Tielmans, James Madison. I know that those two players are probably two that are going to be you know too expensive for Newcastle at this moment in time. But I just think there is probably better options out there. And I think Everton, you know, they were very, very keen to hike the price up in the summer. They're now engulfed in a relegation battle and the club's in turmoil. Yes, Anthony Gordon isn't playing, but I'm think they're still gonna um they're still gonna demand at least 30 million from so look who knows it's gonna be a very very busy week you know as Eddie Howe you know told the media this morning the club are working very hard behind the scenes to try and get one or two over the line um and I'm sure if, you know even though it's a small pool they'll have some very very decent options in the mix. Mm. So Mark Fullerton says Madison and Ziyech for him. Derek wants Newcastle to push the boat out and go and get Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen. Roger would like Tielemans, but aside from that, he says he's not too sure who else is out there. Uh, Billy would like Madison or Tielemans. We've got John, Tielemans, Madison. The kind of phrase, you guessed it, Madison. So Madison, <laughs> clearly the one, and he played 20 minutes for Leicester, didn't he? Um, over the weekend, so working back from injury, we've got another shout here for Connor Gallagher. Um, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, and not many people, it seems, at least watching this live, in favour of a potential Anthony Gordon arrival. Craig says he's a real talent. Just look at how direct he is, good vision, and can finish. Dan Ashworth knows him well. With him being in the England twenty-one, so I'm assuming there he is talking about Gordon. So at least we've got seem to have one. Uh, voice um, and Chris says bring back Billy Whitehurst for our younger listeners and viewers go and google that and you'll see what Chris means by that um, yeah he um, a proper little wind up merchant shall we say there with all due respect to Billy so go and have a little google of that if you don't recognise that name um, Aaron we've got other um, names linked that we haven't mentioned the likes of Ruben Neves We've seen Fischenda. Looks like he's off to either Arsenal or Dortmund. That's the, the fullback um, from La Liga. Newcastle, the January window last year seemed to work so well for Newcastle. They seemed to get what they wanted. And even when they didn't, they went out and had plan B, plan C. It seems to be a little more difficult this time around. Is that because they're further up the league? So, Teams maybe like Chelsea, whereas last year they may have loaned them Conor Gallagher, they may have loaned them Rop, uh, Loftus Cheek. This year they're not going to do that because that could directly impact their chance of getting in the top four. Yeah, um, Eddie Howe made you know quite a public point about this after the summer window where he, he came out in September and said that clubs were quite unwilling unwilling to do business with Newcastle, and that was when they were you know essentially a mid-table team. Now that they're actually you know, on their way to disrupting the big six. I think, you know, the chances of nabbing players off the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester United becomes very, very difficult now. They don't by any means want to 
aid Newcastle's push up the table, um, which maybe means that they do need to go to Leicester and Everton play, you know, teams that aren't going to um, be anywhere near that sort of top six or top eight this season. Um, but undoubtedly, Newcastle United, I don't think any team wants to give them any more ammunition than they've got already, um, which is going to be something that that, that the you know the board overcome and i'm sure they'll have you know plans in place to counteract the resistance they probably are going to you know experience from teams around them in the league Eddie Howe was asked about transfers of course in today's press conference and he said from my side i shift my focus from one thing to another it's one of my strengths my first priority is always the games and the players we have here uh, they're always my priority so training games and making sure we don't take any shortcuts and you also said the quote I was looking for was that we were trying. Um, I had it there, but I've totally lost it. That seems to have disappeared on my screen. But essentially what he said was the club was trying um, to, to move in the transfer market. Aaron, sitting here right now, if Newcastle were to end the window without any additions, would that be a, a terrible thing? Um, yeah, I think it would, purely because of how light they look in certain positions. Um I think before this window started, you looked at the team. Shelby's injury made it vital that they got another midfield body in. You would again, you know, in an ideal world, like maybe one or two um, defensive additions just purely for cover. I mean, as we've said, Trippier going down would be, or getting injured would be, a, you know, a real, real blow for them. Um, but Chris Wood's exit means it's absolutely crucial that they definitely get one or two in now because. You know, should anything happen to Wilson or Isaac, you're really, really looking stretched um, in that in that attacking department. And there's actually been a question that I've been meaning to ask you because you've been really, really keen for Newcastle to sign another attacker. And that was when Chris Wood was at the club. Do you now think they need two? In an ideal world, yes. But this is not an ideal world, so they're not going to get two. They certainly need one. And if they were to finish the window without bringing someone in, I think that could potentially be a disaster because we've seen even with a fit Callum Wilson and a fit Isaac, and I know they're not match fit, but they are fit, you know, the form is not there. And without goals, you don't win games, do you? And clearly Newcastle are struggling for them at the moment. So, but he's got nothing. He's got nothing to change it with. Like, mm -hmm. you know, heaven forbid one of them gets injured, then he's left with one strike. And he clearly knows that's the situation because he's mentioned, hasn't he, over the last week that it would leave them dreadfully short. They've got to go out and get a striker. Uh, I, f I found that quote, actually, Aaron, um, from Eddie Howe about transfers. The club are trying. That's where we are. There's no positive news to give you, but certainly there's a lot of work going on. You know, So it's good to hear that. It's just it's going to be a busy um, finish to the to busy seven, eight days, isn't it? I think the issue with a striker, though, is you had Chris Wood, who wasn't scoring goals, but he offered something a little bit different. And while the goals were lacking, great attitude, fantastic professional, mm -hmm. fitted into that dressing room really well. Now what you've got is Newcastle needing a striker. You're in the January window, so you have a, a premium to pay in the window. You probably have a Newcastle tax as well because everyone thinks they've got an endless amount of cash, which isn't necessarily the case, but that's the assumption. And it's not going to be easy to get your first choice, you know, and I, I do wonder where that leaves Newcastle because what do you do? Do you sacrifice bringing someone in who's got a brilliant attitude for bringing in someone with a bit of a not-so-good attitude but will score your goals? 
which could happen if you have to drop to C, D, E in the list. It's it's a really difficult uh, challenge for Newcastle, I think, to get someone who who might be able just to slip straight into this this squad and the, you know the unison that we, we we see in the dressing room. Yeah, and and one thing that you haven't mentioned that stands out for me is that any player coming into this um, team in January to replace Chris Wood probably knows that they're going to be third choice, you know, unless they go out and literally spend another 60 million on a striker, which they're not going to do. Um, you know, someone's going to have to come in and know that they're behind uh, Wilson and Isaac. With that being said, do they then go for someone young who is, you know, happy to, you know, just be another body um, in the squad, just, you know, to add cover. They know that they're going to be there for the long term. But do they, do they, but do they, I mean, do they need to, and I know we've, we've had this discussion prior, but just thinking about over this weekend, do they need to be sold or you will be third choice? I'm not sure because I think if you're a striker who is at senior level, you're a Premier League striker, maybe, I, I don't know, I haven't got a name on, on my top there, let's say whoever, you've got nine, 10 goals this season, you know you would fancy move to Newcastle. If you look at the way Calvin Wilson and Isaac are playing at the moment, you know if you've been playing week in, week out, you're going to come in and you're going to be ahead of them in terms of the match fitness. You could because you could slip straight in there, given Callum Wilson's out of form, given Isaac's not fit match, you don't think? You, you, you no, don't no, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I don't think anyone would be sold the pitch of you're going to come in and be third choice. But I just think the type of player that they're going to go for, I don't think that Eddie Howe and Dan Ashworth think that they need to go out and sign a striker that is going to replace Isaac or Wilson in the pecking order, if that makes sense. What did you make, though, of his comments, though? Because he did say, didn't he, last week, that he wanted someone to come in and and basically, I'm paraphrasing it, but basically hit the ground running. That's what he said. He wanted someone to come in who can can just play straight away. So Mm -hmm. that would suggest it would be someone... Who has Premier, you know, Premier League experience? You know, like could have been a Danny Ings, for example. You know, that maybe would have fitted it perfectly. But obviously, he's off to West Ham. But it does suggest that he wants someone that can, that can challenge and can displace the two. Yeah, no, I, I do get that, and, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying. But I just think for me, it just seems like it just seems odd to think that Wilson or Isaac could be demoted to us. And I know we're just this is a pecking order that we're talking about, and I'm sure Eddie Howe doesn't see it as this sort of list order that we're talking about. But to see Wilson or Isaac drop down to sort of third choice, it just doesn't seem like a move that the club will make in my eyes. And I think they went from having a really good thing of Isaac, Wilson, Wood. Yes, you know, Wood maybe wasn't bringing the goals in, but he's a fantastic leader in the dressing room. Who And he knew he was, you know, third choice. Um, and now we've got a real struggle on the hands to find someone who, yes, can come in and hit the ground running potentially be a leader in the dressing room, get on with the squad, know the way they're playing, potentially settle for not playing as much. It, it's a it's a huge task for them to find someone um, in, the, in the final days. And I just think Wood's exit's really, really complicated things. I think one thing I will say is that, you know, Ashworth was really clear um, in a recent interview that he gave that, you know, signing players for here and now is what he said was, was unsustainable. Um, really, really sort of laying it on thick that they were going to really push for more players like Garan Kowal, who, you know, young and have massive potential, but maybe on at first team level. Yeah, I don't know whether that'll change now Wood's gone, but I think certainly that's what they've been trying to do this um, month is find players for the future rather than just, you know, to come in and do a job right now. 
Now, I asked John Gibson this in last week's episode. If you, Aaron, could pick one realistic striker to come in, there's no qualms about fees, contracts, wages. You pick him, he signs, he's in the squad. Who would it be? If you'd have asked me a week ago, I would have probably said Danny Ings, if you, as you've mentioned. I think Newcastle have maybe missed a trick and maybe his move happened or Woods' move happened a couple of days too late um, in that respect. Elsewhere, it's, it's hard. It's hard because I think the thing is, you know, Isaac came in 60 million in the summer, huge outlay. Everybody, you know, was so excited. And because he hasn't hit the heights, you know, I mean, you've been talking obviously about it for a month, about how they need another striker. And really, we're all just waiting for Isaac to kick in. And, and, you know, it sort of takes the pressure off needing another striker. So, if I'm honest, I, I don't know. Um, I just I think, I just um, I think to kind of phrase misunderstood the, uh, the task there. I said realistic. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't think Rashford's going to leave Manchester United, but I do agree with you. He's playing very, very well. Um, We've got Derek saying here, he thinks Newcastle are waiting until everyone else, else has blown their, their pot of money. Um, I mean, they're waiting to the last eight days. But I do think in general, I thought the Danny Ings move actually would, would be the, the domino that falls and everything follows. Hasn't quite happened, but I think we will see um, this week, maybe towards the end of this week, things just start to move across the Premier League and that then just sets everything away, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And look, how how and Ashworth have both said that the we're in no rush this month to make deals, and they're going to sit and buy the time, um, and maybe biding it just a little bit too long for for my like. And I would, I'm starting to get a little bit twitchy, um, knowing that we're sort of entering the last seven or eight days. But look, their track record since they came in's been near enough faultless. So you know, you back them to find the right players that Howe needs for the for the short and the long term. The drilling's returned, but it appears to be outside the window now. See, I told you, you jinxed it. You know, you should have just kept kept quiet about I mean, it. At least it's not under my seat and I'm not trying just to stay still instead of being, you know, rocked and vibrated across the room. <laughs> um, but alas, um, what about the loan market? You know, is, is, do you think the hold-up with transfers this month, is it to do with financial fair play and Newcastle don't want to spend too much because that hurts what they can spend in the summer? Is it there's no one out there and they find it quite difficult, or is it a kind of a mixture of things? I mean, how important is that loan market, do you think, to what could happen in the next eight days or so? I think it's a mixture of, of a few points. I think, you know, you've got to remember they've spent 200 million. There isn't an endless pot of money there um, at this moment in time without them, you know, getting major sponsorship deals over the line. I think. You know, Amanda Staley's been very, very clear when she's spoken publicly that they want to try and make this a sustained growth. I don't think we're going to see 100 million, you know, spends every, you know, six months or a year. Um, so absolutely, they should be trying to take advantage of the low market. And I think where they are right now, and as the, you know, the conversation we've just had in the last five minutes, it makes perfect sense that actually you could get someone in who's going to do a job on the sidelines for six months and then you make a decision about them in the future. Um or, you know, you look elsewhere in the summer. So, absolutely, I, I wouldn't mind them going at the low market at all. But isn't that the point? And we referenced it earlier in the show. So, Les is, is going to make another point here, going to make the point again. She can't see anyone in the Premier League loaning to us. And again, it goes back to the point Lee Ryder made, actually, in last week's episode, and the one I made at the start of the, this episode, that 
last season, yeah, why wouldn't Chelsea loan us Conor Gallagher? Why wouldn't Chelsea loan us Ziyech? Um, why wouldn't Manchester City loan us one of their, you know, players in the background? Um, but this time around, they do that, and it could it could knock them out of the top four. So it, the players that you would want to bring on loan, it's not as easy as it was last season. Yeah, it could, essentially it? victims of their own success in many ways. Yeah, one hundred percent they are. And if they thought they found it tough in the summer when really they weren't actually that too much of an immediate threat, they're going to find it a lot harder this month, as I'm sure they're finding it right now um, in negotiations. As I said, you probably need to look further down the table. I'm sure that Newcastle could, you know, put together a quite an attractive financial loan. You know, there's loan fees these days, and they'll take a big chunk of people's wages. Um, you know, potentially an obligation or an option to buy in the summer that makes it a little bit more attractive. But I do completely agree that the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City and Spurs and Manchester United loaning us any top talent is, is very, very slim this month. No, the only ones worried about Liverpool, though, are they? We're not bothered about just qualifying for the top 10, are we? No, I'm not talking about European football, Aaron. I'm not bothered about Liverpool. Um, The point against Palace, saw Newcastle set a new unbeaten record. 15 unbeaten fantastic another clean sheet for Nick Pope that was 15 uh, sorry he got more clean sheets than he's conceded goals so 12 clean sheets 11 goals conceded fantastic I know you wanted to talk about this we've held off a little bit but I'm going to open the floor talk to me about that save that Nick Pope made then oh, honestly right just how can he have nothing to do and he's still able to pull that save off and I just think you know, Newcastle's defence switched off for a split second and he's just there. And and I know we say it every week, but you just can't get over the fact they signed this player for £10 million. Good to see Gareth Southgate in the stands at Sellers Park. Is he finally going to do the right thing and drop Jordan Pickford for Nick Pope? I mean, uh, I wouldn't put too much money on that, but just fantastic to see it. An amazing save. Um, gets better every time you watch it. And I'm just delighted for him personally. Um you know, that he's absolutely thriving at Newcastle United. How many times have you watched it on repeat? Well, I reckon we're in double figures now, probably. Look at that. I mean, it was a fantastic save. Great reactions, you know, like you say, to have nothing to do all game. But we see that consistently every single week. Whether it's him having to rush out and just clear a ball, whether it's him in the dying moments having just to jump up and collect it and fall to the ground. You know, you've all got to be switched on. And, it, you know... It is. It's a challenge, you know, mentally more than anything, to be ready when you are called upon. When for the, the you know, every other minute in the game, you're pretty much just sitting on your backside doing nothing. Yeah, one hundred percent. And look, I think not just Pope, but the entire back five are just playing with this absolutely, you know, incredible confidence that they can just, you know, probably get away with things that they they couldn't on a normal run of form. So. You know, clearly he's loving his football. Clearly, the back five are absolutely loving playing together. And I thought they were again fantastic on Saturday. Um, you know, Harley put a foot wrong and, and you know made life very, very difficult for Palace. It's just trying to find, you know, a little bit more in midfield and attack in the next coming game to try and keep this run going. Most certainly, but another clean sheet, fantastic, uh, just a fantastic defensive unit, absolutely brilliant. Um, Southampton tomorrow then in the cup. First leg down at St Mary's, 3,000 Newcastle United fans down there. Um, thousands more who I'm sure would have liked to have been there. Thousands more, thousands of more fans who I'm sure would like to have got a ticket, ticket to the second leg, but it appeared to sell out within 
the hour of it going on sale to members, which is unbelievable. The game tomorrow, I feel a little bit strange about it. I'm excited in one way, but I'm a little bit apprehensive because I just expect Newcastle United to win this game and I don't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, if I'm honest, I don't, I'm a bit hesitant. I just think, and, and how touched on this this morning in the press conference, you don't really know what Southampton you're going to get at the minute. They did fantastically well to beat Manchester City in the last round. They did very, very well to then win in the Premier League last week. And then, the, you know, they've sort of had a little bit of a setback. Nathan Jones still find, trying to find his feet after, you know, quite a tricky start down there. Um, if, you know, Newcastle of the first half of the season show up and they remember to bring their boots on the bus with them, I think they cruise through. If not, then it's a, a little bit difficult. And I know how was trying to play this down this morning, but that second leg at St James's Park is so crucial because, I mean, tomorrow night will be very, very good, but you feel like next week will be something special with so much riding on it. So, Hopefully, over the two legs, you'd fancy them to get the job done. But as I say, you know, you, you can't be as confident as I think a lot of people were when the when the draw first came out. Southampton are a very weird side. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. a lot of good players who I think wouldn't wouldn't go amiss in a top six side. I think a lot of talented players. I mean, if we're talking about a striker, and I know people listening to this and watching this will go, "Are you, are you crazy, Andrew?" But you know, Chi Adams could do you a job until the point when you are a Man City and you then need to go out and buy a Haaland. Do you know what I mean? He can he can score goals and, you know, he's a good player. James Ward-Prowse, I mean, a massive fan. I'm already setting up the, the fan club in, in hope rather than expectation um, because I think he's just absolutely brilliant. And they have got quality players. It's just, it just whatever. They seem to be very up and down under Hazelhutton and then under uh, Nathan Jones now. But I love watching his press conferences. I mean, if you haven't yet watched one of Jones's press conferences, right, go and find them because he just seems to be angry all the time. Like, just always seems to be really angry. It's really yeah, interesting to watch. He does seem to be a bit of an enigma. Um, clearly very, very highly rated after what he did at Luton. I know he left Luton um, a bit prematurely and, and struggled and went back to them. And, you know, he got off to a really, really bad start against Southampton. It looked like he was going to be one of those managers that lasts about seven games, you know, it was sort of Frank De Boer-esque at the start, I thought, when everything was going wrong. But, you know, he's sort of steadied the ship of late. They've had some decent performances, you know, quite unlucky not to get someone from Villa on Saturday. Um, and, you know, St Mary's will be up for it. I think the chance for them to get to a final as well. Um, I know they haven't had to wait as long as Newcastle, but promises to be a really good game. As you say, they've got some fantastic players. I know we've mentioned Adams and Ward Prowse, but, you know, you look at that at Dozier that they've got down the right, who's a really, really promising talent for the future. Um, you know, Lavia, who they got from Man City in the middle. Another who can cause problems. So it isn't going to be easy. But as I say, over two legs that night at St James's Park next week, you know, on deadline day when hopefully they've announced a couple of signings, it, it promises to be very, very, very special. And it's just funny, isn't it, that you're going to make your return to the press box for that game as well. Look, I mean, it's just it's just, just falling time. nicely for you, hasn't it? Yeah. What can I say, really? My leg's suddenly feeling better. Um, I mean, how do Newcastle approach Tuesday then, tomorrow night? How do they do it? Do they go down with the mindset of, look, we're, like, it sounds, it sounds a daft question, doesn't it? Because you go down with the mindset of winning, but some managers go down there with different approaches, you know, we'll go for a draw, we get a win, fantastic. But the, with the game being at home, the final leg, 
that's where we we aim to win. Do you go down and aim to get as many goals as possible? Do you go down and get one goal and sit back and just hope you win one nil? What do you do? What does Eddie Howe do? I think it's a bit of a balance. I think he'll want. I think he'll want his players on. You know, after the run they've been on, to get back in the you know the habit of scoring goals. But I think what's most important is you know you keep it steady at the back and you don't throw a caution at the wing and go gung ho and you know ruin your chance before you even got back to St James's Park. I think if they can take even a draw back to St James's Park or even you know a one goal deficit, I think I think Newcastle would fancy themselves to overturn it. Um, I think tomorrow is just all about making sure that they that they don't blow it. You see, you're the second person to say that. John Gibson said that on last week's episode, and I'm sitting here thinking, no, there's not even talk about a one-goal deficit. Uh, look, I, I'm not saying that I think Newcastle are going to lose by a goal tomorrow night, but I'm just saying if they do, I think that it's not the end of the world. And oh, look, no. I would love Newcastle. But but uh, so are you saying that the that the what they should do is go absolutely gung ho tomorrow and try and smash not, them three now? Gung ho, but I think, and I think the way. We've seen Eddie Howe, and again, it's a different kind of format, isn't it? But he wants to win every game, and he'll be confident yeah. that his players can go down there and score two or three goals. Well, maybe not <laughs> based on recent weeks to the concert and find the net, but you know, the Leicester game, for example, you know, he'll be confident his players can do the job. And I think if you ended up losing one nil at St. Mary's, heading into that game at St. James Park with the mindset, oh, well, this is where we can turn it around, and then you lose. You'd be kicking yourself, and I'm, you know, you'd be absolutely kicking yourself. You go down there tomorrow, looking to to win by as many goals as you can. Yes, the game and how you approach it after you've scored one or two will change, bearing in mind how it's going. But none of this talk about a one nil deficit. No, I'm not having that. Can I just say for the record that I don't think, and I don't think Newcastle are going to play to only be a goal down. I'm just saying, anything, anything worse than that is really bad news. But I think it's manageable if they lose. I think going into the game, Eddie Howe will set up as he's set up for pretty much the entire season. I don't think there'll be any change. You know, our colleague Kieran Kelly asked him this morning specifically, will there be any long speeches and, you know, big words of wisdom before? And Howe was like, no, it'll just be, you know, what we've worked on for the last couple of months. And there'll be no sort of difference in this game than any other, which is the way it should be because, you know, we saw Newcastle and what they could do to Southampton on the road earlier this season. So, I'm not saying they're going to lose, but when we're sat here on Saturday or Monday or whenever we're next to the pod talking about them being one goal down, I'll just come back and say, well, it's not the end of the world. because What are you doing? Stop it. What are you doing, man? They're 1-0 down. All our listeners and viewers are coming for you, man. How are you? Well, I'll take, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, so I'll, I'll take that responsibility on my shoulders, but I'm just saying, as long as Newcastle United win... Draw or only lose by a goal tomorrow. That that's all I'm saying. Then it's a good. Then it's a. Then it's an okay night. I hope. I hope we've got a nice pillow on that fence that you're sitting on, mate. <laughs> um, Peter says the goals have got to come. So why not tomorrow night? Exactly, Peter. Let's give a bit of this positivity to young Aaron there. Um, don't be so negative, says Fred. <laughs> we have to go down Southampton for the win. Yes, positivity, that's what we like. Because you know Eddie Howe is going down for the win, most certainly. Um, and to kind of phrase makes an excellent point here. Team has to score <laughs> past us to be one for us to be one goal down. And we know Newcastle's defense at the moment, absolutely fantastic. Very You've true. already mentioned it previously in the episode, Aaron. No changes for you. It's going to be the same start in eleven as we saw against Palace. 
if you ask me now what the team's going to be, I think he plays the same team that he played at Palace. I wouldn't be totally against Isaac coming in for Wilson. I wouldn't totally be against Maxi coming in, but I just don't think in my heart of hearts that he will change it. And look, I might be wrong and, and that's fine, but I think, you know, given what he's done of late, I think he probably picks the same team that he's picked. Long term, does that become an issue perhaps if Newcastle don't start, start scoring goals? Because we saw this time last, well, last year when he first came in, he was sticking with the same team and wasn't really working, but eventually got the results. Um, but sometimes you've got to change up if it's not working. Hopefully tomorrow they win by seven or eight goals and you know everyone's scoring for fun. Um, but do you think his Eddie Howe's, I don't want to use the, I'm going to use the word reliance on that starting 11. Granted, he hasn't got too many options as it is. If things don't start turning around again, it's probably the wrong phrase, but you get what I mean. Does it become yeah. an issue because he's not too keen on switching things up? Maybe, but I think should this run continue where the struggle for goals, I think you know the, the calls would become too loud from even how who's very, very sort of shuts out the noise. I think the calls would become too loud. And I think Howe himself knows that when it's not working, he can change it. I think the fact that we've just seen him change it so little recently is because of how well the form has been. And I think, you know, when push comes to shove and he needs to make changes, he will. I just don't think tomorrow is the night he does it. He doesn't like to take risks. And it would be, you know, admittedly, I know they haven't been firing on all cylinders recently, but it would still be a little bit of a gamble to change this team that have, you know, been defensively very solid and, and not lost a game. Um, so, look, I don't envy the decision. I think he has got options if he wants to make them. And, you know, time will tell. It depends, you know, how well everyone's came through that game on Saturday as well, I suppose. Frederick says he really thinks Isaac will start. Well, I think that's probably one of the only changes yeah. I could see happening, really. I think taking Wilson out of the firing line and just... Doing that, you know, it takes a lot off his shoulders and then come the second leg, he's fresh in the mind, he's fresh in the legs. And you might just see a totally different Callum Wilson. That's yeah, that, that's yeah. the remedy. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, we haven't really seen too much of Wilson off the bench and, you know, being that sort of difference maker. So it'd be interesting to see how he actually copes with that when, you know, he's tasked to come on for the last 20, 25 minutes as Maxi and Isaac so often are. So... Big decision to make. I think if there was to be any changes made, that's probably the change he makes up front. But I think elsewhere on the team, it's far too settled for him to be changing it for a semi-final. And Peter says, 3-0 tomorrow, done and dusted. So there we go. Um, just a quick word on potential exits then, transfer window-wise. He's been quite clear how doesn't say anything happening over the next few days because of the cup competition. Carl Dora linked away. Shelby said he was surprised Shelby's been linked away. Um, Ryan Fraser's another one. Uh, do you think it, it, it's going to be one move and then everything starts to happen in the next few days? Yeah, I mean, we saw it in the summer, wasn't there? There was a, a lot of Newcastle exits in the final 24 hours and um, late loan deals get sorted very, very late on. As of, you know, what he was asked about today, as you've mentioned, yeah, Carl Dollar won't, won't be going in the next couple of days despite, you know, really significant interest from the Championship for him, you know, Paul... Very keen to sign him. Huddersfield very keen as well, given that they've both got um, injuries. But of course, with Dubravka being um, cup tied, you know, Dollar won't be going for, for the semi. Shelby, yeah, there was a very, very weird link that he was suddenly, you know, after Besiktas earlier this week, how rubbish that this morning. Says he doesn't know where the speculation came from. 
Ryan Fraser is a bit difficult because you know he hasn't made a match this. He hasn't made a league squad. I think since Boxing Day he hasn't featured at all since October. Um, the writing, you know, has looked on the war for him for a while. I know there's a couple of teams that are after him, but how today said that, you know, he needs to just keep working and, and getting his way back into the team. But it's 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 difficult to see him having a a future. I think he is probably one that goes in the final final days. But yeah, we probably aren't going to see anything in the next couple of days at least. Um, and obviously the second leg falls on transfer deadline day. I was going to ask you whether you, you think someone will be in by that point, but bear in mind yeah, the answers to previous sort of questions in this episode, there has to be someone in, doesn't there? Uh, you would hope so. I mean, as, as we touched on, I think it would be a bit of a disaster not to get anybody over the line, um, especially now that they've lost, you know, a quite a critical body um, in the last week or so but I think you know it, it does how insists as he always does that he's focused on the team and the, you know the team and the games are his priority and you know any transfers are, are sort of in the back of his mind but with two huge games in the next week and a deadline day you know coming up it, it does put a little bit of pressure to get deals over the line but I think they will I know they said they're going to bide their time um, but I'd be very, very surprised if they don't add you know, one or two in the last final days. Fred Hurst says, I really hope we go for Madison as he will make a huge impact on the quality of our squad. Um, yeah, I think players are coming. Obviously, that second leg falls on transfer deadline day, which is going to be a wonderful 17, 18 hour, 19 hour shift for us. But um, we're happy to do it when it's all positive, isn't it? Because I'd much rather be doing it under this ownership than the, than the last ownership. Um and I had a question then. It's totally escaped my my mind. Totally forgotten what it was. So what I'll do, because I'll no doubt remember it um, in a second, give me your score prediction for the first leg. 1-0 uh, Southampton. No, I'm only joking. Um, I'll go 1-0 I'll go Newcastle. I think they'll steal it later on. Goodness me. <laughs> no, that was, a, that was jovial. Your face but, uh... there when I made that comment. <laughs> Goodness me, we'll be getting some negative reviews on this podcast after that. No, Newcastle, I think, I think we'll win tomorrow. Yeah, one nil. Win. I'm going for 1 0 Newcastle. They're going to win. Um, and yeah, they're going to set up a, a good leg, a good tie at Newcastle. It's a James Park sellout stadium, scarves, flags. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. So, but I do think they will win, win, win tomorrow. Um, and <laughs> Derek says Aaron's trying to get cancelled today. So on that happy note, on that happy note, we might leave that there. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where you can keep with it with all the latest Newcastle United news, including our dedicated transfer live blog. All Eddie Howe had to say in the build-up to tomorrow's EFL Cup semi-final first leg. We've got newsletters you can subscribe to, and if you listen on the podcast, hit that follow button. Also got a live event this Thursday, so if you're lucky enough to have had a ticket, the Nellian. As much demand as a Newcastle United match day ticket. Um, we look forward to seeing you in person. Aaron will be there um, with with or without crutches. Uh, I think at the moment it's with crutches, but we'll see how I feel on the day. There we go. And we'll just finish off there with Fred's prediction. 2-0 Newcastle United against Southampton. Isaac and Willick to score. Well, this has been the everything is black and white podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Do enjoy the rest of your Monday.